Focus on that flying thing. Getting snow blind games. Pikachu and Chica Poon in the world beyond. Gotta beat, gotta heat on the phone. It's tear your world apart. Once the magic starts. Welcome to the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. I'm joined by co-host Austin Zamhariri. This is episode number 24. Our guest this week is Mono Amiga, Samantha Benavides, and L. Cross. L. Cross is the Right to Justice coordinator that has joined Mono Amiga in their effort to decriminalize in San Marcos. How's everybody doing this week? We're doing good. Um, I'm sorry, my dog is drinking water like obnoxiously loud right now. So sorry if you can hear that. Um, but I'm doing good. Today we had a press conference um, regarding the Ryan Hartman um, and Pam Watts case with the killing of Jennifer Miller. So we were busy with that today. Um, and yeah, it's been a, been a long day, but happy to be here. Yeah, we're doing great. Super happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Wonderful. Elle, are you from the the San Marcos area? Uh, I have lived in San Marcos for three years now, but I did not grow up in Texas. I actually grew up in France. Oh, wow. That's awesome. When did you, when did you come to Texas, if you don't mind me asking? As soon as I could. <laughs> I came six years ago. Um, I arrived in Houston uh, six years ago, lived there for a few years, and then I came to Texas State for college. Great. Um, another Texas State alumni. There's three of us here at least. I did MassCom. You don't mind me asking. What did you study? Uh, I studied international relations. Wonderful. Sounds like a nice political science degree. Absolutely. <laughs> So we're, we're doing decriminalize San Marcos. That's a ballot initiative, correct? Right. Yeah. We need to get, um, as per city charter, we got to get 10% of the registered voters in San Marcos to sign onto the petition. And then once we get enough signatures, which is about 4,400, we have about 44,000 registered voters. Um, then it'll be put on the ballot for November, 2022, um, and that'll be to just decriminalize marijuana and all legal penalties for possession up to a class A misdemeanor. I'm surprised we have that many registered voters in San Marcos because the population's approximately 60 something thousand, correct? Right. Yeah. I feel like just a huge chunk of it is college students. So I feel like there's a lot of those diversity to vote. We have organizations like Move Texas, Texas Rising. Jolt used to be on campus, just every day out there registering voters on campus. Yeah, I was surprised because I know when I came out to San Marcos in the twenty end of 2015, 2016 timeframe, I think it was then they started counting the students as part of the population. So it was part of this big population explosion that was recorded. And we were like, San Marcos is the fastest growing town in, in Texas and in the U.S., in reality, all it was was they started counting the college students, so that the population went from like twenty five thousand to fifty seven thousand in a matter of a year. Yeah. See, you said that before they didn't count the student population. Correct. Oh, I didn't know that. Interesting. Real quick, if you can, uh, for people who are new or listening, or um, they didn't catch you on the first uh, podcast that you did with us, mm -hmm. uh, give us a little background about Meno Amiga and what the organization is about. 
Yeah, so Mano Amiga started out in 2017, uh, kind of sprouted out of the San Marcos Cinema Club. So the San Marcos Cinema Club had a screening of Selena, um, and it was during the ICE raids in Austin. And so following the screening, some community members stayed behind, and they had a discussion about what they would do if something like that were to happen in their community, um, what was happening in Austin with the ice rates. And so um, they decided to start having like deportation defense campaigns. And so within within the first like year and a half or so, they had um, five deportation defense campaigns um, in which they would just rally the media and community members to keep um, people from facing deportation. And so I think they won about four out of five of the campaigns that they had. And one of those was actually someone who um, is our immigration coordinator now. She got in contact with Mano Amiga when her dad was facing deportation. And so she was a senior in high school at the time. And while other high schoolers were worried about, you know, prom and their extracurricular activities, she was working on keeping her dad from being deported. And she now works as our immigration coordinator. And so throughout all of these deportation defense campaigns, um, we quickly realized that a lot of these people were entering the deportation proceedings as a result of really petty traffic infractions and um, just petty crime. And so, you know, you run a stop sign, one thing leads to another. And before you know it, you enter the jail to deportation pipeline. <laughs> And so we realized that we needed to push for policies that help keep our community members out of the legal system altogether. And so we, one of our first um, campaigns was to push for a site and release ordinance. Um, and so that was basically in 2007, the Texas, um, the Republican dominated Texas state legislature passed a bill that allowed officers in Texas to issue a citation instead of immediately arresting people for certain low level offenses. And that law was then, that bill was then signed into law by radical leftist Governor Rick Perry, um, <laughs> basically. And so it happened that so many people, so many officers in Texas um, would tend to pick and choose when they did and did not use site and release. Um, and so for example, in 2018, San Marcos Police Department um, did not cite and release a single black person out of the 72 instances in which they were all eligible to be issued a citation. They were residents, they didn't have any higher charges. Um, each of them were arrested. And so it became even more apparent that we had to push for a policy that required our officers to issue citations for all people and that were eligible and not just those that looked like them. And so in April of 2020, we successfully pushed for San Marcos City Council to enact the state's first site and release ordinance. Um, other states had resolutions, which is like a cultural suggestion, kind of like city council saying um, to the police department, we looked at this policy and we would really appreciate it if you made more use of it, but it doesn't compel them by law to use it. So this is the first of its kind in Texas. Um, and so since then, we just pushed, we've just been pushing for more policies to help keep our community members out of the legal system. And then we also push for police accountability um, when necessary. 
if I remember correctly, we there was a city council meeting within like the last year where this policy was up for review. A city council member had was very adamant about we've got to go back and review this because this can't be good for our town. And the chief of police actually, they actually, we had, when this went in place, we had an interim chief of police in San Marcos, and then the chief, the current chief of police, came to talk and was talking positively of it. Correct. Right. Yeah, it was actually. So I recently graduated from Texas State in May of 2021, and it was actually my graduation weekend that our council member, Shane Scott, decided to quietly add a discussion on site and release to the, the city council agenda. And so I graduated that Thursday. My family stayed with me for the weekend, and the city council meeting was on Tuesday. So I was just like waiting for my family to leave that Sunday so that I can get to work and, you know, organize our community and get people signed up for citizens comments to um, push for this policy to like stay enacted. Um, thank you. And so that was stressful. Um, we only had just a few days to, hold on, I'm so sorry, Bobby, get over there. My dog is trying to get his bone because I took it away from him because he was being really bad with it. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, we're, um, we're very dog friendly here. <laughs> he's like trying to reach for it because I put it somewhere he can't reach. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we just had a few days to organize and get dozens of community members to sign up to speak before city council. Um, we contacted all of our organizational allies. Um, I even wrote, um, I drafted a speech for my roommate to um, speak before council. It was her first time ever speaking before council and she did a really great job. Um, we also had someone who was directly impacted, um, Jake Rankin. He um, was actually arrested for possession of money. One. We could talk a little bit about that later, but he also spoke or he didn't speak. He was going to, but then he didn't get off work in time. And so I read his speech for him. Um, so we had you know, a variety of perspectives um, go before council and, you know, urge them to keep the ordinance as is. And then as expected, Shane Scott just kind of put his tail between his legs and said, you know, I didn't say I wanted to reverse that release. I just wanted to have a discussion about it. Um, and then we had, uh, chief of police Stan January just kind of embraced the ordinance. And so that was exciting. L, you're the new right to justice coordinator. Um, expand on your role with Mono Amiga. Yeah, so right now the first campaign that I've been involved in has been the marijuana decriminalization one. So most of what I've been doing uh, over the past three weeks, so I'm in my third week working with Mon Omega, uh, we've just been finding places where we can collect signatures. A lot of that is like uh, on the square in San Marcos where young people go on weekends. We've collected a lot there and at events. Uh, so just kind of networking and creating a greater scope uh, of people that we can use their resources um, so that we can make more contacts and get the petition signed and fulfilled. Um, so that's been a really exciting part of my job so far. Uh, in the future, my job is also defined by my re building relationships with directly impacted persons um, and telling their story and making sure that they're heard and that they feel seen. Um, so I'm excited to start that soon. Austin, you have anything you would like to ask? Um, you said something, Sam, that like really stuck with me. Um, and you said it was 
prison or it was a jail to deportation pipeline. Uh, I, I have a good idea what that is, but could you like maybe elaborate on that term? Yeah, of course. So um, it's a term that we use a lot. Um, and so, so I can't remember what year it was. I think it might've been 2017 that the Texas state legislature passed SB4, which was this show me your papers law. And that allowed officers in Texas to inquire about someone's um, immigration status upon a reasonable suspicion, um, which just means that if they suspect that you're undocumented, they are going to ask you about it. And then um, you enter the jail to deportation pipeline as a result of that. And so, so many people are entering this as a result of really petty you know, traffic infractions and it allows ICE and law enforcement to collaborate in a way that they weren't in collaboration before. And so it's created the jail deportation pipeline and it's kind of led to a lot of organizations such as ours and our ally organizations um, to become like crim M organizations, which is kind of like criminal justice reform and immigration rights. Because as a result of this policy, it goes very hand in hand. Yeah, it just it sounds like another tool as part of the prison industrial complex. Right. So that's part exactly. of our, our culture of over arresting people and just the the huge economic um, giant that has become, you know, incarceration. And uh, I just really want to say thank you all so much for doing what you do at the local level and police accountability. Like we've mentioned before on the show, I was at the George Floyd protests in Dallas on May 31st of 2020. Uh, if For those who aren't familiar, those were right after everything in Minneapolis had happened. And you started to see a lot of these massive protests in uh, big cities around the country, L.A., New York, Atlanta, Houston, Dallas, Fort Worth, while I was in Dallas. And this is where I was shot uh, with rubber bullets by Dallas police, was gassed by Dallas police. There were women and children who were gassed by Dallas police. Um, And all because we were, (laughs) most of us were standing there protesting, you know, police abuse. And this is what we were met with. And so when I see organizations like yours and even even more, the actual people in the organization doing these things, it's a a real breath of fresh air. So thank you for what y'all are doing. Yeah, it's it's really fulfilling work. Well, we're going to go into our first sponsor break here at the Lone Star Collective podcast. This is episode number 24, our guest Mono Amiga this week. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. We will be right back after the sponsor break. and Lone Star Collective Podcast. Oakcliff focuses on quality assurance with their hemp products while providing customer service to help you discover cannabinoids to meet your needs. Their product line includes hemp flower pre-rolls, CBG tinctures, edibles, Delta 8, and merch. For more information on their products quality or to shop online today, visit oakcliffcultivators.com or contact them at info at oakcliffcultivators.com. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast, distributed on Spotify, 
iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, and much more, to give Texans information regarding policy, industry, and culture. Here is this week's host, Jesse Williams and Austin Sam Hariri. back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. Our guest this week, Mono Amiga. We're joined by Samantha Benavides and L. Cross of Mono Amiga. My co-host joining me as well, Austin Zamhariri on episode 24. Quick little break there. Get to recoup. So how are y'all doing? How's everybody doing? Good. We're doing good. Um, during that first half, our first quarter, my animals were going crazy. Um, it was really hard to like stay focused. I have a dog and I have a bunny and they're chasing each other around. I just got the bunny like two weeks ago and I've been dying for them to play around. They haven't, but they decided that tonight, just now is the time to start playing with each other. So it's been very distracting. I'd be worried about the dog and bunny play relationship be more like the dog's like I'm gonna eat this bunny relationship I was worried <laughs> its head was getting very close gonna, to its mouth I was talking about the jealousy deportation pipeline and my dog's trying to murder my bunny it's like they, that cartoon your kids the Looney Tunes were like the dog sees the animal just turns into this nice roast bird and it's like nom, 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 yes. blood everywhere <laughs> what kind of dog um, I want to say he's a probably Yorkie and Golden Retriever mix. I bought him. I bought him. I adopted him from the shelter. So I don't know exactly, but he's on his back. I'm giving him <laughs> belly rubs so he can stay on the bed and not try to murder the bunny who's not allowed on the bed. He's on the floor. <laughs> scruffy dog. A little nice. Scruffy dog. Playful. I imagine the type of dog you, you throw the stick and it fetches it. <laughs> Throw the bunny and they'll fetch it too, for sure. <laughs> Maybe not bring it back. <laughs> so let's talk about this campaign a little bit. Um, we we kind of left off where y'all had um, were able to actually pass uh, pass the the city council ordinance, and um, now we're moving into a ballot initiative. So what happened in between the ordinance and where we're at now? Yeah, so following the passing of the site and release ordinance, we started, well, I guess while we're advocating for site and release, we're also advocating for a site and divert program. So site and release and site and divert together are known as the Texas two-step. So under site and release at the city level, you have officers 
who are required to issue citations instead of arresting people for these certain low-level offenses, and there's um, seven of them. And then under Cite and Divert, which is at the county level, um, that would require, so basically at the city level, you're given a citation, and then rather than showing up to court at a later date, um, you take that citation and you meet with the prosecutor at the county level and you'll do some kind of diversionary program that can be paying restitution, doing community service, taking an educational money one eye is bad course, and then the charges never put on your record to begin with. Um, and so we were really excited when our county announced on July 8th of 2020 at the heights of the Black Lives Matter protests that summer that they would implement a site and divert program. Um, however, they said that September 1st would be the start date for that. And September 1st rolled around and there was no sign of site and divert. So on November 1st, we decided to have a protest to kind of raise awareness about the fact that city that our county was not following through on this promise. And then on uh, July 8th of 2021, exactly a year later, um, we actually had a ironic cake delivery to District Attorney West Mao. So we got a cake and it said, unhappy birthday to Sight and Divert. And we delivered it to District Attorney West Mao to commemorate the one year anniversary of his failed promise to enact Sight and Divert. Um, just an ironic, unhappy birthday. It was actually my birthday. So we went outside and had the cake for my birthday after. Yeah, I was about to say, I was like, I'm pretty sure you mentioned it the last time you were on. Like they couldn't take the cake for whatever reason. You're like, well, it's my birthday, so the cake won't go to waste. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then in August, we successfully encouraged Commissioner's Court to allocate $5 million in funding for a public defender office. And so one of the biggest um, excuses that the county had for not having an active site and divert was that there was nowhere to house it, no one to staff it. And so we're hoping that with the creation of a public defender office, we um, will be able to house a site and divert program there. So hopefully that will be coming soon. Um, the public defender office should be coming within the next few months. So um, we're still waiting on site and divert to be housed there. And we'll definitely be putting pressure on our county to really implement that's, it once, and once there's no more excuses. That's that's insane because as you talked about site and divert, I'd say most people probably know this by being put on probation because mm -hmm. technically that's what it is. You're on a probationary period and probation officers deal with that. So for them to say, oh, well, we don't have a way of handling that. It's like we have veterans court in almost mm -hmm. every county in the state and they that's run by probation officers and diversion programs. The um, Another name is deferred adjudication. Um, basically you'd either, you pretty much, you plead like no contest and then they put you in, they set a time frame. They say like, well, you've got a year of this. And during that year you need to do, like you said, community service, or you need to see, uh, um, it depending on what you were seen for. They may say, Hey, you need to see a mental health provider. We want to make sure you're on the right track. And then once this is accomplished, you're done. And like you said, it's doesn't go on your record. It was no contest. Mm -hmm. They pretty much, I want to say it's almost they expunge it. Right. But that's just strange that they went, they, they told y'all that like, we don't have a way to house this. And the reality is, is it's probation officers that would run a diversion program. Right. Yeah. So that's been a lot of our focus in the past year. And then now 
we're really gearing up and focusing on, or not just gearing up, but we're actually like on the ground now collecting signatures to decriminalize marijuana. Um, and so Elle has been just doing an amazing job tabling and um, connecting with other people to table and get those signatures. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so right now we're working towards expanding our volunteer program to collect more signatures. Uh, we started in December. Originally, it was just two people. Before I was part of the team, there was just two people collecting signatures. Uh, we have six months from the date that started to get all of our signatures in. So May is our deadline to get 4,400 signatures. Um, and now it's just been three people who are working on this with our goal of getting about 400 signatures a week. So now we're moving towards expanding our program uh, to get more people helping us out to collect those. We definitely see so much energy in this movement and so many people who are really excited to come alongside us. Uh, so we've just been talking about how we're going to bring more people along the team um, very soon once classes at Texas State are in person. Next week, actually, we're going to start being on campus. Uh, we'll be in the quad. So if anyone's listening to this who goes to Texas State, come by our table and sign our petition and get involved. We'll be handing out um, papers for you to get other people to sign and bring back to us to help us reach that goal. Um, <clears throat> if you want to contact me or Sam, my email address is l at monoamigasm.org or sam at monoamigasm.org. And we're just trying to expand as much as we can to get as many people involved and to really keep the ball rolling so that we can get this done and get it on the ballot for November. Real quick, L, uh, spell, I know this sounds silly, but spell L so we know that email address correctly. Yeah, thank you so much because people never know how to spell it, but I think it's the easiest name. <laughs> it's E-L-L-E, -L -L -E, not just the letter L. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Isn't L the, the the main character in Legally Blonde? Yeah. <laughs> That's what came to my mind. when She I was, was named uh, after me. Exactly. Oh, nice. Very nice. Yeah, my, my, I, I'd say talking about Texas State students, um, I don't know how many protests have been on campus in the last three to four years, but I know I've seen several large ones there. And I would say that if you're in that mood and you're wanting to make change, mm -hmm. come out to these these petition signs about these signature collections. This is the best way that you can actually make change in your city. Yeah. Exactly. You, can go out, you can go out, you can be loud and things like that on campus, but this is the real accomplishment to make change in, at least on a city level. If you want to see the police stop doing these types of things. Right. I know this, yeah. this also maybe another silly question, but I, you said by May, you have to gather all these signatures is there going to be like a 420, like something y'all do something special for 420? Because it's on a Monday this year. And I, you know, during school, I imagine there's that that could be some kind of play. So I was just curious if that if there's already something in the mix there. So we are planning something. I haven't gotten the okay to start saying it publicly. But a very influential political figure in Texas will be joining us on 420 um, to have a rally and some live music and um, have several speakers um, promote our ballot initiative. So we're expecting to have at least like, you know, 1,500 people or so. And um, we're hoping that we can wrap for signatures collection then because um, we, we think it'll be like such a successful event. But that is something we are planning on having. And then following 
the speeches and live music, we might also have like a movie on the square. I mean, a movie like on the courthouse lawn. Um, I'm not sure if y'all are familiar with the film. Um, I think it's called Reefer Madness. Oh uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, the original, so. like the 1930 flick. I'm not sure. I have just heard them talking about it. I haven't seen it myself, mm-hmm. but it sounds really funny. Have you heard of it? No. Do any of you have, have seen it want to talk about Reefer Madness? Reefer the Madness. movie, like the old school 1930s Reefer Madness? It, yeah. That movie's ridiculous and it's yeah. hilarious. It's so funny. It's the it's it's so ludicrous. Like you you watch it now and it's, you know, it's like they were talking about how the earth was flat. Although they never said that, but like, you know, it's just, it's ludicrous. If you've ever seen Jojo Rabbit, it's like the marijuana equivalent to the nonsense you heard out of the bad guys in Jojo Rabbit. It's the, it's that ludicrous. It just doesn't make, there's no logic to it at all. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost maddening to be honest with you. I, you know, you watch it and you just get angry that this was how things were stereotyped and, and there, it blended in with all of that. There's uh, not just, you know, the drug use, but the, the undertones of racism mixed in with classism mixed with misogyny. It's, it's pretty insulting. But it, it's also really funny just because of it's almost 100 years ago the movie was made. Right. Kind of watch it to like ridicule it. <laughs> yes. So we're going to go into our second sponsor break here at the Lone Star Collective podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams, joined by guests this week, Mono Amiga, which is this week, Samantha Benavides and L Cross. I'm joined by co-host Austin Zamharari. We will be right back after these messages. Oakland Cultivators is a sponsor of Texas Cannabis Collective and Lone Star Collective Podcast. Oakland focuses on quality assurance with their hemp products while providing customer service to help you discover cannabinoids to meet your needs. Their product line includes hemp flower pre-rolls, CBG tinctures, edibles, Delta 8, and merch. For more information on their products, quality, or to shop online today, visit oakcliffcultivators.com or contact them at info at oakcliffcultivators.com. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast, distributed on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, and much more, to give Texans information regarding policy, industry, and culture. Here is this week's host, Jesse Williams and Austin Sam Hariri. Texas town of El Paso I fell in love with a Mexican girl Nighttime would find me in Rose's Cantina Music would play and Farina would whirl Blacker than night were the eyes of Farina Wicked and evil. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast I'm your host Jesse Williams This is episode 24 our guest this week is Mano Amiga, 
Santa, Samantha Benavides and L. Cross join us. My co-host is with me here, Austin Zam Harari. How's everybody hey. doing? Hey! <laughs> hey Man, I'm just super excited. Like, um, you know, we've talked to people who are running for statewide office, um, other local candidates, but I always really love... Uh, who I consider my people, which are the people who are being active in their local communities, right. you know, making a difference. Texas is a big place, really, really big place. There's 254 counties in this state. Um, we're, we're almost getting ready to eclipse 30 million people in this state. Um, the regions across this 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 wonderful state are very, very diverse, and they have their own histories and their own cultures that um that you can't really it's not like a statewide thing like you know el Paso, west texas is way different than east texas and which is way different than the panhandle versus the rgv and so i love seeing people who are active in their communities uh who are getting active in their city council who are joining organizations like mano amiga uh to try to make a difference and uh it's just so refreshing and it really gives me a lot of hope yeah, thank you, absolutely. Thank you for that. It's absolutely fulfilling work. And I feel like so many people who do this kind of work are always asked, like, so when are you running for office? Like, when? Do you, what do you want to do? And <laughs> I personally feel like being an advocate, I feel like there's so much more power in being an advocate than being in office, because as an advocate, you have more time and more power to tell multiple lawmaking bodies and multiple elected officials how to do their job rather than just being a single vote on a single lawmaking body. So I feel like this is where I feel most fulfilled and like I have the most power and like organizing community members to um, reach out to our elected officials and um, especially in like one issue and like just have a lot of power there. I, I know exactly the feeling I got. I got asked this last year and a half, when are you going to run for an office? And I will say that going to the Capitol on a routine basis, especially mm-hmm. and Austin was with me for one of the committee hearings. We were, we showed up at like what eight, nine in the morning and we stayed the entire day through the night oh, and didn't leave oh, until like five thirty six in the morning. And they yeah. still weren't done with the entire committee hearing. And it was that point. I was like, I have no interest of being here right. solid like this just to deal with a couple of things. Yeah. And then we turned around, we turned around and literally like after the committee hearing was over at like 6 a.m., we turned around and at 8 a.m. we're in a, another committee hearing with at least one of the same representatives who was in the criminal uh, jurisprudence committee with us the whole time. So, yeah, it's uh, uh, and, and, and people ask me the same thing. They're like, oh, man, when are you going to run for office? I'm like, <laughs> you kidding me? I don't want all you people. I don't want, I don't want all you people to be my boss. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And I feel like it's, I'd rather become like an expert and really passionate, put all my energy into like one issue. Cause I feel like it's so overwhelming. Like there's so many issues that need people rallying behind them. And I just feel like focusing on like just a handful of issues and really putting all of your energy and focus into there is like really what, what I'm interested in doing. 
Right. And sometimes these issues overlap with other issues. And so, you know, where we focus here is cannabis. Right. But oftentimes when we talk about cannabis, we're dealing with criminal justice. We're dealing with health. We're dealing with um, economics and and um, and agriculture and just a whole host of different topics that that really we're, we're focused on this one issue. Right. But you're right. There, there's so many different things that are tangential to what you're fighting for that you can easily get involved with. Yeah. I see it as looking at this experience and talking about being involved versus like being in offices. I don't know if you've ever watched parks and rec, but there tends to be every time there's a hearing, there's just the, like the loony bin comes out to voice their opinion and I realized I'd rather be, like you said, the expert, somebody who comes really knowledgeable and speaks well in an event, to be able to go up there and say the piece and not come off as making our community look like the loony bin. <laughs> That's the yeah. thing I can change. So I was like, I can change that. So let's do that. Yeah, definitely. I, I One thing that I feel has really been a powerful tactic is encouraging people to testify before city council and commissioner's court. And I, I realized, you know, me probably more than anyone as someone who's cried and broken down while speaking before council, I understand that's a really big ask to ask people to testify before council. It's just three minutes, but there's a lot of work that goes into it. Um, so what we do is we create talking point documents that just have a dozen, like dozens of bullet points of points that you can hit and you can just pull from that and put in paragraph form um, to help people formulate their testimonies and make sure that everyone is like well-versed in the issue and can really speak to it before council. Yeah. We had a meeting where me and you met last week and we were talking about that because there's, there's a lot of people who just want to get up there and be like, yeah, man, you know, I like cannabis a lot, you know, like it's so good. Oh man. It makes me feel good. I was totally wish you guys, shirt, dreads, you know, I just totally wish you wouldn't be like, you know, oppressive man. It's like, yeah. we don't need that. Right. Um, real quick. And I know this is maybe just a little bit off topic, but I'm always curious when I talk to, um, you know, people who are of Hispanic descent, uh, how do you feel about the word marijuana? We often, you know, through a lot of our social media posts, we, you know, every time we, we kind of use a lot of the slang intermittently, we're talking cannabis, ganja, weed, marijuana, you know, anything. What we're really talking about is, is what the, the legal term that it's called is, is anything greater than 0.3% Delta nine THC, um, which is illegal in the state of Texas. And, and for the longest time, it's been called marijuana. Um, and so we often get chastised about from people all the time. About, oh, you shouldn't call it marijuana anymore. You should call it cannabis. Uh, you shouldn't, you know, this is a racist term, all of these things. If you can, what's your opinion on that? Yeah. So I personally haven't seen or heard anyone or been told, um, all of that. I actually only learned that that was like, that there, that was an offensive term, um, by my supervisor who um, was giving a presentation before one of our funders and other fundees of that same um, foundation. And someone said, you know, that's an offensive term. Um, you shouldn't use it. And so that was the first that he heard of it. And then he let us know. And so as an organization, we have been mindful 
of not using that term. And so we say cannabis a lot of the times when we're promoting this on our socials and in public. So that's me being um, respectful and like making sure that as an organization, we're not using it. As an individual, I personally, as someone who I'm from Laredo, I'm from, my house is like three, two and a half miles away from the border. Um, that's my community. I personally feel like, um, I think it's, it would be great if we could reclaim that. I think it's a beautiful word. Um, especially that's, when said, that's my view. Uh, that's, that's what I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it's, it's important to understand the history of it and the context and recognize that. But, um, I, I especially think that like for Latinos to, say it like marijuana and um i think that is it would be cool if we could reclaim it that's my personal opinion yeah we uh we like i said i you know use this kind of intermittently technically under statute it, marijuana means anything you know the the thc cannabinoid delta nine greater than 0.3 percent that's marijuana uh, historically, it's always meant you smoke marijuana, you get high. You know, Mota. that's typically right. <laughs> that's that's what it's you know usually meant. And then you know, through my own searches and studies and learning that the word actually dates back to colonial times, and um, you know, with Spanish conquistadors and and uh, the local the local people who were, were growing crops at the time and how that word derived in 16th and 17th century, what's modern day Central America, Mexico, um, and how the word was essentially, like you said, hijacked by, by guys like uh, Anslinger and, and um, William Randolph Hearst and, and others who were really at the time really trying to make it something scary uh, to combat the the massive influx of Mexican immigrants that were coming uh, across the border in the early 20th century from the, uh, I believe it was the Mexican Revolution. And so you had, uh, you know, <laughs> it's hard to say that we've come a long way, you know, 120 years later where we don't want Mexicans coming over, over across the Texas border. You know, you would have a lot of people here who want to talk about building a huge wall because we want people coming across the border. Um, but 120 years ago, this was uh, a way that they could curb immigration and attack poor communities, attack people of color and a lot of the enforcement that we see today is still based off of some of these same, you know, agendas that were created culturally a hundred, hundred plus years ago. And you would think that we as a society would be able to move past that, you know, after Martin Luther King and, and many other revolutionary civil rights leaders, we would be past a lot of this, but we're still struggling with a lot of these same concepts. And um, you guys I think your fight can identify with that. So I wanted to start wrapping this up. I wanted to ask Samantha L if y'all had anything that we didn't cover that you want to add and for y'all to go ahead and plug your website again. You want to talk about volunteerism? Uh, yeah, like I was saying earlier, we're looking for volunteers for people who can help us spread the word and get more signatures so we reach our goal and actually make this happen. Uh, our website is monoamiga.org. I think it's monoamiga.sm.org. 
myhumanomiga.org. <laughs> it's one of those. And then we're also, um, all of our social media is SM. That's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So we're always going to be updating our socials. Um, so for students and people with, um, you know, any business on campus, uh, we'll be at Texas State on the quad Monday through Thursday from 10 to 2. Um, and then we'll also be hitting up like different community events over the weekends. And so we'll always update our socials to let community who, you know, can't make it out to university because parking's difficult and whatnot, um, let them know where they can meet us to sign the petition. So we might be at the square or like different community events. So follow our socials to stay updated on where we're tabling. And if you're interested in getting involved and taking a clipboard and some petition forms, you can email either L or myself um, at sam at manomigasm.org or L-E-L-L-E at manomigasm.org. Manoamigasm.org is the website. And I rem- I always remember it because I always look at it and I laugh. I chuckle because I go, <laughs> monoamigasm. <laughs> I've heard that so many times. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first time I'm hearing it. This <laughs> is org. Monoamigasm.org. And if you're looking for their socials, you didn't remember what they said, you go to monoamigasm.org and in the upper right hand corner, at least on a desktop, but I'm viewing it right now. There's a Facebook and Twitter button. Imagine you can find that on the mobile site. I appreciate y'all coming on. Um, talk about the say February fourth, correct? Uh, the press conference. Yes. Yeah, that's going to be February first. Uh, we're going to be having our press conference uh, where we'll be kind of updating people on our initiative and pushing. Uh, kind of getting the word on how you can volunteer, what our volunteer program is going to look like, um, and where we are as far as petition signatures. Um, And so that's going to be at Texas State on the quad by the Stallions on February 1st at 11 a.m. It's a Tuesday. Um, And then we're going to have different speakers. Uh, We'll have Mike Siegel from Ground Game Texas, who we're partnering with on this initiative. So he'll be speaking about ground game and the work that they're doing. I will be speaking about Mano Amiga, our background, why we're pushing for this, how people can get involved. Um, and then we're also going to be having uh, Jesse Williams with the Texas Cannabis Collective talk about y'all's work um, and offer different perspectives as to why we need decriminalization and legalization. And then we'll also have different local candidates in the region um, offer short two to three minute statements of support as well. So that's February 1st at 11 a.m. at Texas State on the quad. All righty. That's going to wrap it up for episode 24. Our guest this week, Mano Amiga, Samantha Benavides and L Cross. I was joined by co-host Austin Zam Harari. That wraps it up for episode 24 here at the Lone Star Collective podcast. Everybody have a great and wonderful week. Adios. Bye. Bye.